All right, how's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders, where we're talking to founders about their companies, their visions for the future, and how the two collide. I am very, very, very excited to have a first edition of what I think I'm going to call, I don't know, have a conversation with a VC. On this episode, we have a founder um, and a VC live on air right now who are going to be talking to each other for the first time. And this is a real this is a real viable investment. This is a real startup, real VC, and it's going to be awesome. The founder that I have uh, on on air on the online is Dave Goldbot, who is the creator, the founder of WaveChat, and uh, the VC that I have is Elizabeth Yin, who is uh, one of the the founders of Hustle Fund and one of the general partners. Um, welcome to the the show, guys. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Matt. So to start this off for the format, I'd like to spend the next maybe 10 to 15 minutes building up a little context for the people that are listening that have never been inside of a, of a fundraising meeting before or have just never interacted with an investor whatsoever. Um, I'd love to just kind of hear from both of your ends how you think <clears> about um, Elizabeth and how you think about meeting founders for the first time and Dave, how you think about meeting investors for the first time. So to start, Elizabeth. You obviously meet a lot of founders. It's your job. You're a VC. How do you think about going into a meeting like this? How do you prepare? How, generally, um, kind of, how do you think about that stuff? Yeah, for sure. So I think the first thing is, having been a founder before, I had a lot of misconceptions of what a pitch meeting was before I pitched any VCs for my own startup. In fact, I thought it was you go up to like, you know, the front of the conference room and you just kind of like stand up there with your slide deck and go through it. But that's not what it is at all. It's not at all like a demo day pitch or anything you see at accelerators. It really is just a, a casual conversation, or at least mine are. And it's going through the basic tenets of the business. And I think if I had to really just boil it out very simply for early stage or seed stage entrepreneurs, um, like what are the nuances of the problem you're solving? How are you solving it with your solution, either through your product or some other means? And then some bits about like the market or market pull, like if you have any traction or what does that kind of look like? And then who, who are you? Like, why are you doing this and who's your team? So I think that's pretty much it, those five things. And, um, you know, investors just, at each stage want to get a good sense of it. And at the seed stage or pre-seed stage where we are, we don't expect you to have done a lot of the things you need to do to build out the business, but we expect you to have thought about those five things, um, you know, par- fairly carefully. You didn't just think of the idea yesterday. And then one more question on, on your end, and then we'll flip over to Dave. So you mentioned their seed, pre-seed. Um, I think, I have a feeling a good amount of listeners know what seed is, but I, I, I feel like, and I don't even know if I'm super clear on this, what is the difference between pre-seed and seed, or is it just titles? Like, like I guess, what's the, what's the big difference there that, that someone like that's Dave should such, know? That's such a great question, and it's such a moving target, because the nomenclature is all weird these days. Like, I'd say five years ago, or even three years ago, the term pre-seed did not exist. In fact, it just sounds ridiculous. But I think if, just roughly speaking, regardless of what you're calling it, at the earliest stages, there are kind of some distinct milestone points. So the first milestone is, okay, it's more than an idea, like you're actively working on it. And usually that's in the form of, I built my first version of a product, um, but you don't necessarily have loads of traction. Maybe you have some users or a couple customers or whatever. I would call that to be pre-seed. So beyond just, oh, I thought up an idea, um, you've done something. 
And then seed is, okay, well, I've done something, but I've also started to get some traction, uh, users or customers. Um, it's always a moving target of what people want in seed. But I would say sort of an adage is that's thrown around is, you know, 10K per month in SaaS sales or something equivalent is generally seed. It's not just a few people, but fairly significant. And then post-seed, I would say, is sort of the old Series A that people used to tout like the million dollar run rate mark or whatever. The benchmarks for the Series A have gone up. So now people call that post-seed or whatever you call it. So that's roughly what it is today. But I'm sure the nomenclature will change again in two years. But I think from a milestone perspective, just generally, that is a good framework for thinking about it, like product and then maybe some usage and then a fair bit of usage. I'm excited for when we get to the days of the 4P seed, the 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 pre, 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 pre seed before you raise your A. Just <laughs> yeah, joking. Exactly. I, I hope that never happens. Or maybe that's a good thing. Who knows? That's not my area to think about. Um, but let's flip over to 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 Dave. Dave, you know, you're a founder, you've been you've been in the Bay, you've been in tech. How do you think about um, talking to investors and meeting them for the first time? What kind of prep do you do? And just how do you, uh, how do you think about meeting investors for the first time? Yeah, so <clears throat> I start with uh, really trying to understand what are the motivations of that particular investor and that particular fund. So what are they, what is their day to day? What are they trying to come into a meeting and do? They want to invest in a company uh, generate return, depending on the thesis of the VC firm. And I'm, for uh, full disclosure, I'm lucky enough to have done a few angel investments and no venture capitalists. So it's not like I've never been on the, the other side of this. Um, but they want to invest in companies that provide them with uh, one returns uh, for their LPs and for their fund to provide them with uh, moving forward and moving technology forward uh, that uh, in a way that uh, goes with their thesis. If they're a social good fund, they want to uh, do social good and help people have access to healthcare or uh, deal with um, some kind of, you know, domestic violence or something like that. Um, so they want to affect change in the world. And I think that there's also um, just in having been, a uh, human being on the planet for 30 plus years. Um, they want to achieve some sort of uh, status um, in terms of their relative position towards uh, how they exist within their social uh, framework and network every single day. So that varies quite a bit and those percentages uh, change quite a bit based on uh, the type of investor and the type of fund that you're, you're pitching to. But that's the, the very base layer that I think about. <clears throat> the second layer that I think about um, is, okay, uh, one, is this, uh, is this a fit in terms of my particular company? And maybe I should tell Elizabeth what my company is at this point. Um, so my company is, is WaveChat. Um, we are a social voice company. Uh, so the simplest way to describe it is we're like the Snapchat for voice. Uh, and we provide a very simple way to record your voice and share with your friends, either on network or off network. Um, we offer creative options, um, like voice filters, and we also allow, 
um, super simple sharing to Instagram stories or Snapchat stories to um, share uh, a bit of your day using voice as the predominant, uh, predominant medium. So <clears throat> based on my uh, version of how I see the world and how I see the future of technology, and this is where uh, my unique perspective comes in as a founder and my co-founder's perspective, don't wanna leave him out. Um, then we start thinking about, do we focus more for this particular investor and where we are in our life cycle of, of the company? We've been at it for about a year. We had an MVP and we launched a, a social version of our app a week before Thanksgiving, so about two months ago. Um, what, are the, what are the ways that we can highlight, one, what our vision is from a super macro perspective and also more micro okay, what does our traction look like? How are we approaching problems? Uh, how can we demonstrate the way that we are thinking about the process of solving the problems to get us to seed and post-seed in series A? Uh, and Elizabeth can speak to maybe the way, that, uh, the way that she thinks about prioritizing the uh, specific metrics or, or uh, KPIs to get to there. Um, but for a social consumer app, um, it's all about finding explosive organic growth and, and retention. So I think that that gives a, a good uh, level of context about how you both are thinking about, um, I guess, each other or the persona of, the, of each other. So now, um, now that since you've explained what the company is, which is great, uh, I still I like let's move into the kind of the next section where if any, if Elizabeth has any questions, now's the time to ask and let's just kind of have a conversation about wave chat and get to know each other a little bit. Sure. So Ooh. I think one of the things that I like to dig into first with almost every pitch is uh, the team. So we'll start there. And that's mostly because like many other components that I mentioned, such as the problem and the solution and the market and all that and how you get customers, it's, it's all to be fleshed out largely but the team is what it is. So mm -hmm. that's what it is. And um, so actually, Dave, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? Like what were you doing before? And then we can dig into any co-founders you might have. Yeah, so uh, I have been uh, in the Bay Area from starting in 2007. Um, I graduated from undergrad in 2006 and I was super, super lucky to get a job at Facebook in 2007. I was there until 2017. I as you can imagine, someone early in their career, I did a ton, a ton of stuff. I actually got hired as a customer support representative. Um, so my background is very much on the uh, customer satisfaction, uh, user experience side of things. During my course at Facebook, and Matt, we talked about this on my podcast, I learned um, how to be sort of like a, a professional in a sense. Uh, understanding uh, how to apply metrics to building a product, understanding all the various factors, confounding factors that go into uh, building something successful for uh, particular segments and cohorts of audiences, um, how to manage both internally and externally. Okay, we have a, a PR issue, we have a legal issue, we have a privacy concern. Um, I was there until 2017, worked on privacy settings for a while, actually worked on search for about five years. 
Um, so I have a pretty solid understanding of, uh, of backend, backend ranking. Um, but I've always been uh, very interested in music and the audio space. Uh, I led a bunch of side projects when I was at Facebook, actually led the team um, that uh, did uh, the karaoke filter for Facebook Live. Um, <laughs> it shipped after I left, but because of all the, the copyright issues, but um, I was the, the team to drive that and we won the hackathon there. I led a team to drive Spotify results in uh, search for Facebook. Um, and I, I always have had a passion for audio and music. I have a couple rap albums. If you want to pull up SoundCloud, you can find me and listen to my rap albums. Um, and, you know, after Facebook, I was, I was figuring out what to do. And uh, again, I, I'm lucky enough to know a bunch of people from my early days at Facebook who are now VCs. I was working out of uh, Combine VC. I don't know if you've heard of it. They're in Soma. Saleo, who's a former designer yeah. at Facebook. Yeah. So I, I was working out of his space and I was sitting next to my now co-founder who was also working out of that space. And he was working for Token Daily, which is a crypto startup. Um, and at the end of 2018, Token Daily was pivoting to be more of a fund and he wanted to work on product. And during this time, he was giving me feedback on I was trying to do maybe some music AI stuff. Um, and we started hacking together on the weekends. Um, and, you know, really ser serendipitously, um, he was looking for maybe something that involved building a bit more in terms of product. And uh, around end of 2018, beginning of 2019, we made the decision, hey, let's, let's start this company. I think there's a really huge... Uh, huge market, huge green space for building in, in voice and audio. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm more than happy. And me and Matt have had a conversation about this to talk about, uh, I could talk about the reasons why, why that's the case all day. But um, we, you know, started building in, in January and obviously did a bunch of pivots and bootstrapped and raised a little bit of angel investment so far, but we think we're in a, a good place to, really push for for traction right now this is um, you started building in january 2019 or yeah january 2019 okay cool and um tell me a little bit about your i guess so this person you teamed up with out of saleo's co-working space is your mm -hmm. now co-founder yeah he's my now co-founder his name is dennis stukin he's uh the cto i'm the ceo he is uh, originally from germany he moved here about two and a half years ago. Um, he, interestingly, so I have a ton of experience working at a big company. He has only worked on startups and he was actually uh, started working when he was 16, self-taught engineer, uh, was a CTO of kind of a mid-level um, IT uh, company in Germany for five or six years. Uh, founded a few of his own startups in Germany moved to the United States uh, to be the CTO of Token Daily um, and is now the, the CTO of um, WaveChat. Cool. Okay. And he's an EDM DJ, so we have <laughs> a lot of audio um, tech experience. That's awesome. So um, I guess like I'm, I'm still trying to wrap my head around, uh, I guess more specifically what WaveChat 
does. So there are yep. a couple of different ways we could approach this. Like one is, I don't know if you have any, an app to show or anything to show. It's in uh, the app store. So, and, and I can also just pull it up on my, uh, on my phone right now. Yeah, that might be easiest. So, okay. Both work. So, <clears throat> um, we have, I pulled up the app. As you can see, it's pretty similar to, let me know if you can see that or if there's a, um, yeah, for the listeners, I think it says, what trait do you admire in others on the, on his screen? So yeah, I can describe and if you want to download in the app store, it's iOS only for now, but, um, it's called wave chat, wave chat voice messenger in the app store. Feel free to download it. Add me as a friend. Um, so you can see it's, it's very similar. We have a top bar right here that in the top left is my profile picture. You can tap on that. We have, we have an identity component attached to it. So people feel like they're invested in it. Uh, our MVP that we launched in uh, May of 2019 was just the recording itself. And I can get into the uh, individual uh, usage of it, but we didn't have any social components. and one of the things that we saw that made us really transition to a, a social aspect of identity and a network was we were seeing deep usage, people downloading it and using it for 20, 30 minutes, but only once every one, once a week, once every two weeks. So we figured, okay, we wanted people to come back and use something over and over again. Let's attach identity and a network around this uh, creation of this voice, uh, voice content. So, um, you can very similar to Instagram or Snapchat, um, instead of it opens to content creation. So you just press a button and you start recording. Hey, it's ah. Dave. I'm, I'm on the, uh, founder forward thinking founders podcast with Elizabeth Yin and Matt Sherman. So we can take a we can take a photo. Let me do a selfie, and we can take a photo of all of us. Nice. Yeah. Use that in the background, and and then we can send that, and we can either share it to on network to our uh -huh. story, or you can see down here off networks. Uh, you can share it to your Instagram story, or you can DM it. I'll share it to my friend Christian and to my story. Go back. And now you can see that I have a, I have a chat thread similar to a, a Snapchat chat thread with my friend Christian. And he can respond. And this is a list of all the chats that I have. Uh, and now this has been posted to my story right here. So <clears throat> um, I can, that's the, the crux of the uh, functionality for WaveJet. Um, I can talk a little bit about the conceptual thinking around what drove us towards creating a voice recorder. Yep. Um, that would be, I, can, I guess like hitting upon sort of the, the nuanced problem of what you are trying to solve here. Yep. So like, what is the problem that we're solving for people? What is the, the job to be done? So um, 
<clears throat> if you think about it's very, and we struggle with this quite a bit uh, very early on. Investors would really uh, poke us in regards to this. Any sort of social experience, it's a little hard to describe. Like, what's the problem with Instagram that people are solving? It's more of a, a job to be done. We like to use the jobs to be done framework. And I think we can all agree that people um, have almost, almost an infinite capacity to want to share a moment and connect with other people. Um, humans are intensely social animals. Um, and we, we've seen this uh, both in terms of uh, like technological connection and off, off of technology sort of connection. So people wanna share a moment and they're almost agnostic to the way that they do this. Um, and we basically came to the conclusion that people want to um, be able to share a moment, but they want to, uh, it, everything has become so focused on the visual and the eye. And they, there's almost an overdevelopment of the visual in terms of the ways that people are sharing and connecting with each other. And I'm sure you've seen this where people are fatigued in, I have to think about how I look on Instagram. Snapchat was developed because people were, um, wanted a way to not have to share things and look perfect and presentable at all times. Um, the, you think about what's the ultimate expression of um, capturing a moment and not having to worry about the, what you portray from the, the visual spectrum. It's, it's audio, it's someone's voice. You add that to the, uh, the emotional resonance of uh, hearing a loved one's voice or a friend's voice um, and the specific capabilities that voice, uh, voice has to offer. In addition to uh, what we think is the biggest macro trend and why this, this really hasn't taken off yet is that, let me say hi to Melville, um, is that um, the hardware simply wasn't there. And I don't know if you've, you've probably read a bunch of Marshall McLuhan, but I'm a huge proponent of, of his theories. And he basically says that um, the medium is the message, whatever the format of the content that it's going through, whether it be a television or a screen of an iPhone, that is the uh, predominant way that the human brain is going to uh, wrap itself around that particular type of content uh, and morph it and warp it. We think, I don't know if you're aware of the AirPod sales numbers or the Alexa sales numbers. Yeah, sure. Yeah, um, just huge, huge numbers, uh, numbers of sales. Um, the, our theory about the future is that there is going to be a change in the way that uh, humans interact with technology and media and the way they capture moments and share with each other. Um, and it's going to be because of uh, their nervous systems are going to start being tied in with AirPods and Alexas, as opposed to the overdevelopment of the the visual right there. Interesting. It's, it's kind of funny because I actually think that uh, this trend, like the hockey stick growth or purchases of both the AirPods and the Alexa and Google Home devices Mm -hmm. are kind of actually opposite sides of a coin 
So one is listening, the AirPods, and the other is speaking. And you could argue, well, you use these things to listen to music, but I would say I think it's more or less that. I don't, I don't think there's like miniature co like uh, consumption in the home or Alexa. Would you argue differently? So just to, to make sure uh, I'm understanding. That was my Alexa, sorry. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, to make sure what I'm understanding, what you're saying is you don't, uh, you don't think that the hardware itself is causing people to consume uh, small bite-sized pieces of, of audio? That's a question more than anything. Um, and specifically, what I think about just even outside of the purchases of these devices is mm -hmm. people no longer listen to voicemails. Uh, which is interesting <laughs> like and that's like short short content so mm -hmm. i'm just sort of curious for your thoughts on on these trends kind of pulled together yeah um so people do listen to voicemails they're just voice messages now on whatsapp and wechat um there are i think 30 or 40 billion voice messages sent every day on whatsapp and wechat combined um, the only place, and Matt, I think we talked about this on our podcast, um, the only place where people do not send voice messages is in uh, Western Europe and North America. Everywhere else, it, it's kind of like flipped on its head where it's 90% voice messages, 10% text messages. Um, so there is short form voice sending, but only, uh, only in a one to one or one to small group format only in a private private format um our belief and you can you can take a look at the the trajectory of uh the way we think about it is centralized broadcast decentralized broadcast and then social networked um so if you think take a look at text it was uh newspaper and then blogs and then facebook and twitter um, because of the smartphone or video was TV and then YouTube and then Snapchat or IG stories. I, I think right now we're at the, uh, it's going from radio to um, like podcasts um, and we're moving more towards the social networked phase where hopefully it's, it's wave chat. Um, but it, people are already using it, even though these tools are very primitive and there's no, uh, there's no great way to share with um, uh, like a, a social networked broadcast audience. People are still using these things um, on WhatsApp and WeChat billions and billions of times every day. That's fair. I mean, I think my hypothesis, my hypothesis for that as to why people <clears throat> outside the U.S. use voice chat more is like I think before when calling people was very expensive, that was sort of the use case with other apps that were predecessors to that where you could basically leave a quick message and it basically became a phone call yeah but um we can certainly pontificate about market trends all day i'm kind of curious on your app in particular what kinds of messages do people leave yeah it's uh super interesting we've seen and you know obviously we don't have product market fit yet we don't have that one super clear use case um 
that is really just exploding and giving us huge growth and retention. What we have seen is, and, and this is super interesting because it's, uh, it tells us how early days we are in this. And you take a look at some of the things that are shared on say, Snapchat or Instagram and stories, the way that people are expressing themselves, no one could have ever foreseen, you know, five, even five or three years ago. Um, in the same way that the New York Times just uploaded a PDF of their entire newspaper when they were first present on the web, we're seeing people doing the exact same thing with wave chat where they're like, hi, I'm making a short podcast. And I actually think the, the usage of the term podcast or mini podcast, I don't really like it because I feel that there is, um, there's so much more room for creative expression surrounding uh, audio and voice. But what we are seeing is one person had an NBA podcast that they were doing. It's like, hey, this is Marcus with the blah, blah, blah NBA podcast. Um, we've seen one person um, say, like, I am literally trying to start my podcast network on here. <laughs> um, we, we do see a little bit of a um, reticence, which is why we added those uh, questions at the beginning to give people an idea of, like, oh, what's your, you know, tell us a story about your all-time favorite meal or what is something you wish you'd known when you were a teenager or something like that. Um, we want to provide the tools to allow creators and, um, and these new networks of people who are slowly but surely uh, taking on this, this new user behavior, uh, a way to express themselves and connect with people using our network, using WaveChat. So that's interesting. <clears throat> Tell me a bit more about sort of these micro podcasts or whatever you want to call it. Um, is it more in the form of then like, oh, it's low stakes then for me to just kind of say whatever is top of mind about a particular topic, like something about business trends that happened today. And then most of the people are consuming that as opposed to you know, I think, I think if, so an analogous might be YouTube where there's a small number of creators, but lots of people who kind of lurk or watch Yep. versus Facebook, I would say everyone kind of contributes and kind of looks or watches ish. Where do you think this is? Uh, so you're talking about what's the, uh, the mix of creation versus consumption. Yeah, um, for learnings of the different use cases, do you see it gravitate one way or the other? Like one is sort of back and forth conversations. The other is I've got my micro podcast and I've got a hundred people listening to me or whatever. So what we're, <clears throat> what we're focusing on right now is we understand, and I'm not sure if you've read Eugene Way's piece about status as a service. No, I haven't. Okay. Um, he basically postulate it's really fantastic i'll send it to you after um after the podcast but and matt you uh you read it after i recommended it during our last podcast or you read the, the summary yeah definitely it sounds you the name i know i've read the name i feel like okay yeah i've read the name i'm okay. looking forward I'll, I'll to give your... you a i'll give you a tldr basically uh eugene's uh do you know eugene way uh, i feel like I think so. I think I know the name. <laughs> yeah, he worked at Netflix and he was uh, head of video at Oculus for a while. Um, his, uh, his TLDR is that humans are status-seeking monkeys and the job to be done for, uh, 
for social networks is to provide status as a service, kind of like software as a service, but status as a service. Um, and there's only so much, you know, status to go around. And it's kind of a, you can only, there can only be one person on the top of the heap. So what we're focusing on, and this is why um, younger people are clamoring for uh, much more uh, private expression because they don't want to have to play this, uh, this status game at all times. We also recognize that young people are the, uh, the predominant drivers of new social networks. So what we're, we're hoping to accomplish is not the, the tip top of the uh, everything always public like TikTok where the talent rises to the top, but we want to enable people to uh, lower the bar in a sense. And it's why we're offering stories and direct messages first, as opposed to permanent this last forever, forever posts. Um, and we are, I think there's, there's all sorts of content that can be uh, given a voice and a platform for voice content, but because of the nature of uh, the pendulum swinging back towards more private sharing, uh, not everything being default public, we wanted to default to that as well, um, to allow people to have a little bit of a chance to explore and feel their way around, especially with the new a new format like like voice. Interesting. Um, how have you been thinking about customer acquisition? And I know right now it's the early days, so it's probably just mm -hmm. like scrappy means. But how do you think about that in terms of you building your product and getting virality or whatnot? Yeah, so we are, I mean, we're doing things that don't scale. Yep. Um, we are focusing on... Um, so we have a partnership with San Francisco State University. Um, we have three interns from San Francisco State and one from uh, UC Irvine, but she's originally from the, the Bay Area. Um, they are all members of the uh, eSports Gaming Club. And the reason that we reached out to uh, San Francisco State was because one, we know that young people are the predominant drivers of social networks. Two, um, there's a highly uh, networked area, both demographically and uh, just physical location. Um, so we've been sponsoring using, you know, small amount of money, $50, $100, Super Smash Brothers tournaments, um, having to download Wave Chat in order to get into the Smash Brothers tournaments. Um, and we're kind of deploying our interns onto the campus to um, rally up support and get people to download WaveChat, but also be these uh, product user experience uh, feedback researchers to you know, tell us to understand like, hey, this is what's awesome about WaveChat. This is what could be improved upon. Um, in addition to that, we've, I mean, me and my co-founder literally decided like, we need to spend at least one or two days every week just going to the park and trying to get people to sign up, um, focusing on a small demographic area um, or a small community and trying to achieve critical mass there, reaching that inflection point or that tipping point. Um, and at the same time, if there's a, a piece of the product that needs to be improved or um, optimized, working on that a little bit, but it, it's really about, uh, grinding it out and talking to as many people as possible, um, especially in the early days. Um, 
we don't want to spend any money on paid acquisition. Um, non-organic acquisition is not going to, to really help us very much at this stage. Yeah. How has some of the feedback shaped your decision-making on product or whatnot? Yeah. Um, some of the, so the, it's really interesting. The, the feedback that we've received um, has been less so about the product itself and more so about the network. Um, so I think everybody knows the cold start problem of the network, of a social network. Nobody's there, so nobody wants to come, but nobody wants to join because nobody's there. Right. Um, so the vast majority of the feedback that we've seen is, hey, nobody's there, why would, why would I join? Um, that has caused us to sort of redouble our efforts to not only get more people and more communities to sign up, uh, sh taking as many shots on goal as possible, if you will, um, but we're also exploring how do we make it more attractive for people to, when they do give us a shot and do come there, make it more attractive for people to stay. So one is have your friends on the network. Um, so we're looking to uh, improve the invite flow, maybe have some gamification in regards to congratulations, you've invited, you know, five friends, you get a star or you get a new filter. Um, the second thing is we're uh, seeding content um, where we're literally manually adding uh, podcast accounts um, so that, you know, Joe Rogan podcast or the Waj pod, which is about NBA basketball um, and seeing how those perform and tracking retention for people who have interacted with those uh, little bits of podcast um, versus those, those who haven't. So there's no, and this is something I was thinking about earlier, there's no one right way to do these things. It's really, um, and a bunch of feedback I've gotten from VCs as well, and social consumer is, a lot of it is luck, to be totally honest. Um, so you need to get, you need to maximize your luck. Um, and they're like, listen, I, you know, I wish, <laughs> I wish social consumer wasn't as much about luck, but um, you need to maximize your shots on goal to give yourself a chance to generate that inflection point and that tipping point to where people want to want to come and stay and uh, have their own community on WaveChat. Sure. I mean, I think, <clears throat> so, um, uh, you know, I would just say that in general, I think that a lot of startups, whether they're in pure consumer or not, are a lot of luck. Oh, uh, absolutely. I, yeah. Obviously, there's a lot of hard work that goes into everything, but tons of luck. Um, I think I'll give you my transparent thoughts on this. Mm -hmm. So obviously you have an amazing background having worked at a social network. Like you certainly know more than most people about the inner workings of the cohorts that you track and what are things that are important, et cetera. I think that is really important. I secondly, I also believe that thesis that right now we're at sort of a point in time where people are looking for new social networks. And I think that conceptually this is interesting certainly voice is on the rise with both, you know, the trend in podcasts. And I would argue the AirBuds example is a very good one. I think <clears throat> when it comes down to the specifics, I think I don't quite have conviction here around, I mean, I think one, I, I, um, I think at least for the U.S. audiences and certainly can't really speak to the rest of the world, but for the U.S. audiences, 
while I agree that there isn't anything in voice, I also do wonder if that is a cultural thing that we are even used to. So I completely take your point that we are used to photo sharing, video sharing, and any permutation of that, whether it's disappearing or not. Yep. Visual is something we are used to as a U.S. audience. But I'm not sure we're used to voice beyond like phone calls or actual like I need to communicate for some direct transactional purpose from a social perspective. And that's, I think, the part where I am struggling to get bought in because I, I wonder if, uh, you know, the, part of the, the challenge in this, this building up stickiness or engagement is around changing user behavior. So I actually completely agree with you. My sense is that that's not a, a bad thing. That's actually a huge area of opportunity. Um, again, like going back to, I'm a huge McLuhan uh, fan, going back to um, the way that he uh, talks about media, you basically, uh, he basically says people rewire their central nervous system in their brain based on the pieces of technology and the hardware that they are using to uh, interact with the world. Um, phones have dramatically pointed everything towards the eye. And our, our thesis is that people are looking for rebalancing of the senses. It's 80% eye and you know 20% all the other senses right now. Um, people are looking for a way to, 100,000 years ago, all the senses were balanced. Um, people are looking for a way to escape from the, the overdevelopment of the eye. And we think that AirPods and Alexa are going to be the very beginning of, um, of, in, of a complete change in, in behavior and um, the way that people interact with the world. So, so I, it, it, yeah. I agree with that to an extent. But mm -hmm. I think people need to transition into things. So if you think about transition, even, even just transitioning into Facebook and then beyond that into Instagram and all this other stuff, like photo sharing had been around, Yahoo Photos, et cetera, and, mm -hmm. and then that goes to Facebook, et cetera. So it's like gradual transitions. It wasn't people want to join a social network. Right. And so in a similar vein, like what are the applications that people currently use to listen to things? Well, they do listen to podcasts, and that was a transition from radio. So you're, it, there's like transitions from radio to podcasting, and I could see a natural transition to whatever you want to call it, micro podcasting, like, oh, that's really easy to grapple. It's like not a long podcast. Right. Um, and then maybe it goes into something else. But so I, I could see like if you tie your use case and the user experience more specifically around certain things people are already kind of used to, I could definitely mm -hmm. see that happening. If it's just more of a general tool of let's record some voice files to share. I feel like that's harder for people to understand because they yeah. don't have anything to anchor in. Yeah. Uh, so I think we're, we're on the, the same wavelength, maybe more, uh, more than we initially thought. Um, I do think that there's going to be a time of transition and I don't think um, people are one day, people are going to wake up and start recording all these, you know, quote unquote, micro podcasts or short form uh, voice files, maybe in five years or so. But there needs to be a short, uh, shorter term use case, which we are in the process of finding out right now. I'm very excited about possibly serving the needs of the 
gaming community. Uh, we have people who are very, uh, very entrenched in that community. Um, we're thinking about building something that can tie into like their Discord server, their gaming Discord server. We're very excited about um, building something that might serve a specific community within the Bay Area, whether it's um, do we build small private spaces for the San Francisco State uh, on-campus community or I'm a commuter or uh, I'm a, someone who's an international student, something like this. So <clears throat> we're still trying to figure out, um, you, you obviously raised a very good point, this is feedback we've gotten from a lot of people, that the general tool right now is a little bit overwhelming for a lot of people. Uh, it's like presenting a, a smartphone to someone in 2007 and say, okay, go share 10 photos a day now. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's going to be a little bit difficult for people to conceptualize, oh, like I share selfies, I share photos of my food, like, you know. <laughs> so start off with the, you know, people on the Harvard campus sharing photos of bourbon, like on Instagram or sharing, you know, disappearing photos on college campuses. Um, and then, then expand from there. And we're, we're still trying to find that. And I completely agree with you there. Mm -hmm. So I think, um, I think just to kind of summarize or wrap this up, um, you know, I appreciate chatting with you, Dave. And I think you guys are thinking about uh, some of these pieces in the right way. I think for me, I'm a pass. I think to my point earlier, um, I think the the app as you've designed it is like too far of a stretch per current user behavior. Mm -hmm. I think if you were to, you know, come with an app where it's like, oh, this is micro podcasting and we're going after like these people who would create content for micro podcasting or whatever, like that'd be maybe a different story. But I feel like it it's like built very generally and I am having a hard time grappling uh, that general use case, like at this point in time, but I absolutely yeah. could be wrong um, and hope you prove me wrong. Yeah, I hope so too. <laughs> um, no, that's, that's really good feedback. And um, maybe we got a little sort of overambitious as we were, we were building the app. Um, but I definitely appreciate you taking the, taking the time and evaluating it. Of course. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you for listening. If you're listening and taking part in this experiment, I'll talk to you both whenever I talk to you both next. Thanks for coming on.